This is Black and Gold Rush, the podcast where we talk about all angles of New Orleans Saints football. I'm your host, Rachel Jones, and I've been a Saints fan all my life, so I know just how much this team means to our city, both as a former reporter and from my season ticket in Section 257. Whether it's breaking down game tape or telling an inspiring off-the-field story, I'm here for it because the Saints bring us together. Let's get going. Welcome back to Black and Gold Rush. Well, losing never gets easier. It hurts. It stings. It even makes you want to cry. But Sunday's playoff loss to Tampa Bay has an even more bitter feeling for us in the Houdat Nation. Something that's difficult to describe. It's a numbness. A sadness. Knowing that Drew Brees very well might have played his final game and come up short of a second Super Bowl we so desperately wanted for him and the whole team. They had golden opportunities. Take this stat, for example. The Saints are the fifth team in NFL history with more than 30 pass touchdowns and more than 30 rush touchdowns in a single season, including playoffs. All of the prior four got to the Super Bowl, and three of them won. The Steelers of 79, the 49ers of 94, and the Broncos of 98. But not the Saints. Or this one. The Saints are the first team ever to win 49 regular season games over a four-year span and not reach the Super Bowl. But before we go feeling sorry for ourselves again, curl up in the fetal position and ask why, I want you to go look at the post-game images of Drew Brees and his family on the Superdome turf, talking to Tom Brady, throwing footballs, his daughter Rylan doing cartwheels, and Drew and Brittany beautifully embracing each other. That put a smile on my face and made me grateful for all the good times. Demario Davis also said afterward, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. When you get knocked down, the only way you're going to find success is if you get back up. What amazing words to live by. And it's with leaders like him that the Saints could have a fighting chance moving forward. So my guest today is Chris Rizvoglu. Chris hosts not one but two podcasts simultaneously, Straight Up Saints and Sports Overtime, in addition to writing for The Spun. I'm eager to get his perspective on all the Saints have endured this season and the many off-season stories ahead. So let's get into the interview. Well, Chris, I'm sh- I sure wish we were talking under more joyful circumstances for the Saints, but I'm so glad to have you on the show. Yeah, I, I agree. I wish we had more joy on this uh, Monday morning here, but unfortunately what happened happened, but I- I'm glad to talk Saints football with you and get this rolling. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into the into the divisional playoff loss and what very well could be the end of the Drew Brees era in New Orleans, tell us about your journey, how you came to follow the Saints and become a passionate podcaster yourself. So my first memory with the Saints, me and my dad were watching the 06 game when they opened up uh, the Dome after Katrina. And at the time, I mean, my family members from my mom's side were all Giants fans, but I really wasn't too into football. And we watched that game and I remember it, 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 yeah, the Vic Falcons team and the Saints just were so energetic. We're like, okay, this is fun. This is pretty cool. So from there on out, I started watching them more. And as the years went on, 
my love for this team kept growing. So it kind of started there and continued. Obviously, 09 was the, the the pinnacle for everything in terms of just growing this incredible bond. But 06 is where it started for me. As for podcasting, it was about four years ago, I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I, I knew I wanted to talk sports. But at the same time, with my schoolwork uh, during undergrad, I was like, hey, I got to find a way to make a schedule where it's on my time and I don't have to worry about certain things. So I said, hey, let me start a podcast. I'll see where it goes. And I went through so many podcast names over the last couple of years. I started with like Houdat and NYC. Then I was like Big Easy and the Big Apple because I live in New York. So I was trying to find a little New York twist to it. And then I was like, you know what? I came up with just straight up Saints and I left it there. So it was just for me an avenue and, and place to express uh, my Saints fandom, my Saints takes. And it's grown ever since. It's been super fun. The Houdat Nation gets a lot of credit for being the best fan base. Sometimes not enough though, because I do enjoy every single week being able to talk to them. They give me feedback. So it's been fun podcasting. Absolutely. As a new podcaster myself, I'm looking forward to just bonding with the Saints fans even more. That 06 game, I was there with my dad. We were in the front row and just being there for the blocked kick. It was an unbelievable experience just being being there and just bonding with the with the fans. It's I it, it's just will forever be in my mind and unbelievable that you got to share that with your dad too. Yeah, it was, and it was weird too, because at the time going into that game, because I kind of went in almost blind in a sense that I didn't know, because I, I must have been, was that 14, 15 years ago? I must have been like mm-hmm. eight or nine. And I was like, just, you know, I, I didn't know much. I knew Michael Vick was the cool guy on the block, and I knew the Saints were just opening this up again. So I kind of went in blind, and that was the team that I ended up just liking right after. I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be it. Their fans seem awesome. And when you're so young at that time, you have no idea what's going on. And looking back at it, you see why it was such an emotional night. Uh, it's amazing. It was such a fun moment. I, sometimes I wish I could relive certain things with the Saints, but obviously we can't do that. But it was a great moment. It it, it kind of speaks to the fan base because I don't, I don't know if there's a team that could have gone in there in 06 and beat the Saints. On that particular night, it was just so electric. So to be able to share that moment was awesome. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the Saints fans leading up to 2006 had been through so much with Hurricane Katrina and then with many futile seasons before that as well. But uh, here we are in your uh, divisional playoff preview episode of Straight Up Saints. You laid out keys to victory that I thought were spot on and the Saints simply just did not do enough. They did not deliver on pressuring Tom Brady with consistent pass rush, only one sack, eliminating chunk plays, this time on the ground. I mean, the Bucks ran the ball 35 times for 127 yards, and they did not start fast offensively, settling for two field goals when they could have been touchdowns. But I think you and I were both most exasperated by the turnovers, and the Jared Cook fumble completely changed the complexion of the game when the Saints had a chance to take control and get past the playoff shortcomings that have plagued them the past four years. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And a little depressing stat for the Jared Cook fumble that you mentioned, they had an 83.7% chance to win the game prior to the fumble because they just got across midfield. They were up seven and the Saints kind of looked, you know, as sloppy as they were against the Bears in the second half, they had three really long drives that just cemented the game and they went on to the next round. The Saints look like they were about to repeat that formula. They scored on the first drive. The second drive, they're going down the field. And the fumble just changed everything. Momentum was just flipped. It kind of seemed like the air got sucked out of the building. So 
that was a big thing. And what kind of frustrated me the most was the slow start for the offense just really hurt because Tom Brady didn't really even have that great of a game, at least in Tom Brady's standards. He was okay. I know he had the touchdowns, but he only had 18 completions and Mike Evans and Antonio Brown were basically non-factors. So you take out two of their big receivers. Brady doesn't play particularly well, but when you don't force turnovers and you turn over the football four times on offense, I I just don't see how you're ever going to win. That is such a, a recipe for disaster. Right. The Saints basically handed them gifts. It's just so frustrating and sad because I was hoping maybe the offensive sloppiness and turnovers would be out of the way after the Chicago game. You can get away with some of that against the Bears, but not against Tom Brady and the Bucks. You just can't. The, the Saints gift wrapped them touchdowns and then the Bucks made them pay. Yeah, absolutely. And what hurt the most was knowing if you take out the turnovers and it's such a big if, but if you did, the defense was playing well enough. The defense wasn't forcing turnovers and the defense didn't sack Tom Brady enough only one time, obviously, as we mentioned, but mm-hmm. the defense was forcing three and outs. The defense was forcing Tampa Bay in positions where they had to punt. They weren't really getting beat at all. They were doing their thing. Now they didn't do it in an explosive manner. They didn't do it in a way that made you feel like this defense was playing dominant football. But the Bucs had 21 points off turnover. So only nine points that they scored yesterday were on drives that they kind of had to manufacture themselves. The Drew Brees pick the first time, put them in a bad spot. The Jared Cook fumble put them in a bad spot. And the third, the second Drew Brees pick was just the icing on the cake there in terms of giving up more points off turnovers. So that's why it's so frustrating too, because I think the Saints had a game plan in there. And Sean Payton, he clearly was doing anything he could to make sure his team wouldn't lose momentum. Remember when they were down 10-6, he calls that trick play that he stole from the Bears for Jameis Winston to throw a touchdown. And that was his way of just injecting life into this team because the Saints kind of looked lifeless at that time and it Mm -hmm. flipped the script. But at some point, the Saints were just not executing where it doesn't matter what Sean Payton called. It doesn't matter what he would try. They just didn't have it. And it's unfortunate. And again, it happens in the playoffs, which just hurts the Houdat Nation because that's four straight years of heartbreaking losses. But again, that's what happens when it's one game elimination. If you don't show up, you don't do your best and you're sloppy, you're going to lose that game 10 times out of 10. And and like you mentioned, we thought they were just find a way to get rid of those sloppy mistakes. Just didn't happen. And the worst part is it doesn't happen against a team that you know they're capable of beating because they did twice this season. So it really does sting. Exactly. Exactly. They beat them twice, but you knew, you knew both teams were going to come in mad because they played below their standards in the wild card round. And in the end, the Bucks just played winning football and the Saints didn't. So now that we've vented, <laughs> we can't lose sight of how the Saints did have an unbelievable season, even despite the pandemic, winning nine straight games, including all but one when Breeze was out injured. And maybe that can be a trend that the Saints can build on. Eight and one the past two seasons without Breeze in the lineup, Chris. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of people yesterday were being dramatic and saying, tear it down. It's tank time. The one thing I know about this Saints team is they have a lot of firepower still, even with Drew Brees probably retiring. And obviously when the Drew Brees era is closing and 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 you're turning the next page, it's, it's scary because there's a sense of uncertainty that you don't know what's next. But the Saints still have Michael Thomas. They still have Alvin Kamara. They still have Marshawn Lattimore. They still have Demario Davis. They, they have a good amount of firepower on this roster. And the one thing, as you mentioned with Sean Payton, it's 
he almost embraces the challenge of not having that Hall of Fame quarterback and saying, okay, what can I come up with to put us in the best position to win? And I honestly think whether it's a Jameis Winston, whether it's a Taysom Hill, whether they draft a quarterback first round, I trust John Payton well enough to say whoever his quarterback will be, they'll be competitive. And I kind of think with the way the Saints have played, and we saw this years ago when they didn't have a defense and it was just Drew Brees throwing for 5,000 yards, they would go 7-9. and nine. Now, 7-9 and nine is not the goal you're shooting for, but I just can't see this Saints team with the way Sean Payton coaches, with the swagger that they have on defense, them going worse than that type of record. I think they'll still be competitive. Obviously, they have cap issues they have to figure out, but I think that with Sean Payton, you're always going to have a chance to win. And knowing that he's going to have his offensive weapons at his disposal, even guys like Deontay Harris, Marquez Callaway, and Traquan Smith, I think Sean will be fine. I'm not too worried about that department. Right. And that's a perfect transition. Uh, speaking of those cap issues, the Saints, you, as the NFL is a business, they will look different next season, not just with possibilities at quarterback that we'll explore in future episodes of our podcasts. But the Saints have major salary cap issues ahead projected to be 95 million dollars over Chris who's a player that you think the Saints can't let get away in your mind if they don't want their playoff window to close next season well I don't I don't know if he's priced himself out of New Orleans and I guess they'll find out on the free agency market and I kind of fear that he has but I think keeping Marcus Williams would be huge for this team a lot of people are going to remember Marcus for the Minnesota miracle and and that's a type of play that you just never shake off from the fan base and I get that but Marcus has improved every single year. This was the best season he's had by a a long shot. He's getting so much better at just being that rangy safety who can just be a ball hawk at times. And I don't know what his contract numbers are going to look like at the moment, but I think he's a guy, if the Saints can retain him, he should be at the top of the list because they're already going to lose players like Jared Cook. They could lose a Trey Hendrickson. They're going to lose a couple, a good amount of players this year that made an impact. But I, I think if there's one that they have to keep, and again, I don't know what his contract situation is going to look like. I would say Marcus Williams. He's just so important. And the Saints invested a lot in him. He was a second-round pick. They, they envisioned him being that guy to shore up the back end. And the Saints secondary, even yesterday, you know, there was a lot of units that didn't show up for the Saints. The secondary showed up. They played really well. They held Tom Brady under 200 passing yards. So they, they did what they had to do. Uh, so if they could keep Marcus Williams – you know they want to keep Lattimore long-term. They already have Malcolm Jenkins and C.J. Garner-Johnson for the, for the long haul. So if they can keep 43, that would be the guy that I would say, I hope they don't get let get away, but you never know with free agency. Absolutely. You just never know. I've got my eye on Trey Hendrickson, but again, he might be another guy that his perform his performance this year with that pass rush uh, over 13, 13 and a half sacks. I think he finished with, with he might price himself out of New Orleans, too. But yeah, so him. Mar- yeah. But Marcus Williams, I love your point there. He almost had an interception, but the Saints seem to be the king of almost interceptions <laughs> I mean oh. I don't know I don't know what it is uh, they had three near picks yesterday but in the end the defense just could not get a single turnover this postseason that the turnover margin was just killer but again we're looking ahead to the offseason one that w- could not feature future Hall of Fame quarterback Drew Brees in the lineup next season it it it's weird to think about, but I'm curious, Chris, what's your favorite memory? Can you even pick one of the Peyton Breeze era of the past 15 years? Well, the, the Super Bowl for me always has to be number one, just because, you know, 
it, it, you're never going to be able to live that moment down. That's the one that, you know, you can be upset at a loss and then you'll go over to YouTube and type in 2009 Super Bowl and everything somewhat feels better after rewatching. But what I look back at, and it was for me, the breeze Payton moment that just showed me, uh, you know, if they can just get a defense, they'll be fine. It was 2015. They played the Giants and coming into that game, the defense was already terrible that year. They had the 32nd ranked defense. And the Saints scored 52 points. Drew Brees had seven touchdown passes. And they needed a field goal in overtime to win, although Brees threw seven touchdown passes. And I think it was just a you know a testament to Drew being that type of guy that it didn't matter what the circumstance was in his prime, at least. He's going to show up. He's going to play well. And Sean Payton, a lot of people were on him saying they should trade him, get you know trade him to another team for draft picks, let him walk. So many hot takes about that. It's just when they have the right team, we've seen what they can do. So – I weirdly appreciated the greatness of Breeze and Payton from an offensive standpoint during the years where they didn't have great defenses, like 2015, uh, even the 2011 season, seeing them play really well uh, against the the Lions and Wild Card Weekend. For some reason, that's a win that I really enjoyed. The Saints used to get creative, flea flickers and all. So I'll still go to the Super Bowl, but there were great moments. I unfortunately. I really felt like 2018 was going to be the year where we got one more great moment from that duo, but 2009 will definitely take the cake. But there are some moments where there were shootouts that I enjoyed, like the the Giants game. Even last year, even though they lost uh, the 49ers-Saints game, that was 48-46, was quite fun. Even even in the losses, the Saints make it entertaining. I'll give them that. They they have that knack, but I'll, I'll go with 2009. Absolutely. Hey, yeah, all those that you mentioned were, were incredible. Any... Drew is the master of the two-minute drill. I love seeing the Saints offense work in that, especially I remember in the season opener against Houston last year, just seeing them, we thought it was over when the defense gave up that late touchdown, but it's never over when when the Saints offense has a chance late. And just seeing, seeing Drew and Sean get into Will Lutz field goal range and then having a chance with that 58 yard. I was in vintage Rachel mode. We had moved to Lake Charles, my husband and I, and we were watching the game together and I was in vintage Rachel mode pacing and he was trying to get me to calm down. It was not working. But uh, so my dad was at that game and I was very jealous (laughs) getting, I'm sure the dome was just rocking when, uh, when, when Will Lutz nailed that uh, game winning field goal after Drew got them into, into field goal territory. And then of course, uh, a a moment, another moment that sticks out for me is imagining Drew, uh, after he scored uh, to bring the Saints all the way back in 2009 when they were trailing 24 to three against Miami. And he brought them all the way back with that rushing touchdown just that image of him dunking the ball through the goalposts is one that will forever be in the mind of Saints fans. So wherever this season, uh, this off season goes for, for us, we'll have plenty to talk about. So Chris, where can our listeners connect more with you? So for starters, they can follow me on Twitter at Rose Vogel report, R O S V O G L O U report. Uh, they can check out my podcast straight up saints. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google play, wherever they listen to, they can find it. And I'm, I'm usually trying to interact with anyone that tweets at me. I know yesterday was kind of tough. So many people were tweeting that I, it was tough to get to everyone. But I love interacting with Saints fans. It brings me joy. Kind of lets everything else pass by. The time flies by. So that's where they can follow and check out my Saints content. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here and talking Saints today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. 
Thank you so much for listening to Black and Gold Rush. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. For show notes, head over to my blog at rachelwjones.me and sign up for my email list. Until next time, who dat?